Hey everybody, welcome to Unscripted Wrestling. I'm Dan Hummer. I'm here with my brother Doug. Yo. Clint is here. How are we all doing? Good. Good. Uh looking forward to tonight's show. Uh and there's been a couple th- a couple big things happened in wrestling this week. Uh Chris Jericho is the Ring of Honor World Champion, by the way. Yeah, that's nuts. He's not in AEW anymore? AEW technically owns Ring of Honor. Uh, oh, okay. Tony Khan bought it. So, yeah, and Chris Jericho. And, uh, Clintus, you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but this this is technically, like, the fourth, is it the fourth or fifth world title that he's won? Or of a different promotion? Oh. Well, you, you count the, if you want to count the WCW title he won back in the Invasion era, <laughs> and you got the Undisputed title, and then you got the AEW, and then... Yeah, it's the fourth one. Yeah, no. He was never so an ECW he, champion, no. All right, yeah. So he's been the world champion of four different companies, technically. Four different companies. Uh, which not a lot of people can actually say that. Uh, I'm trying to think, because usually, like, you could say that you were the world champion of, like, you know, two or three. Uh, but I'm pretty, like, Jericho's the only one that can say he was the world champion of four companies right now. I'm pretty sure. Unless there's somebody I'm missing. No, uh, Big Show's three. It's not like he held a, yeah. Right, Big Show's three. Big Show's three, WWF, WCW, ECW. Uh, Sting, well, the NWA title was a a WCW title for the longest time, so he would technically, it would technically still be a two. Uh, AJ? Yeah. No, two. I no three IWG no, did he? Yeah, uh TNA, WWE, IWGP. And was he the Ring of Honor champion? No. I don't think he ever won the world title there. Okay. I say I think I distinctly distinctly remember him not winning a world title. Oh, technically Technically, yes, because the NWA title and the TNA title are two different things. Yeah. So you could say that he was the world champion of four different organizations. It's crazy. Nuts. Legendary. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So we, we got some big news tonight. We got a big topic. Yeah, we got... Uh, <sighs> The Big Boss Man's Top 10 Moments and Matches. Uh, So, I picked this topic because actually yesterday was the anniversary of his death. R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, Back in 2004. uh, So, yeah, September 22nd, 2004, he passed away. Uh, He he died of a heart attack while visiting with his sister. Damn. That's very it, sad. It's very sad. Uh, and I'm not going to make a sarcastic comment either. Uh, That's good. 
on air. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, not and you know, as for anybody that listened to the show a couple weeks ago, he was on the first half of my top twenty favorites list. So we're gonna do this, and then next week we're gonna do Lex Luger's top ten moments and matches. Yeah, Luger's next. Yeah, the torture rack. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, Boss Man, he, he's one of my, uh, one of the ones I remember watching as a kid and being kind of enthralled by it, especially when he beat Mountie in that go-to-jail match. Uh, Even though that insinuated some dark stuff watching it back now. But yeah. Still. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to get away with that now. No. But here's the funny thing, and, like, there's two different facets. By the way, it's Big Boss Man slash Big Bubba slash the Guardian Angel slash the Boss. You know, he also wrestled under his real name, Ray Trailer. Yeah. Uh, and he has a career that it was almost a 19-year career, all right, because he wrestled up until his passing. He started in 85 at, at the age of 22. Yeah. Uh, started in the NWA for Crockett. And he was doing jobs. And Dusty saw how agile and how talented he was. So he took him off TV for 12 weeks to repackage him as Big Bubba, Jim Cornette's bodyguard. That's awesome. So we'll get into all that. Uh, But, yeah, he's got, like, two different facets of his career as, like, the big boss man. You have that. I mean, when he first debuted, he was that, you know, bully prison guard. Yeah. Uh, you beat people up with the nightstick and all that. He was a big villain for Hogan. Yeah. And then uh, and then he was this big, lovable, like, town sheriff almost. Yeah. He was the law and order of the World Wrestling Federation. And uh, I'm serious. Look, that was the tagline. I know, I know. And, uh, you know, he always made sure to uphold the law. And then when he came back in 98... He was more uh, like he he was dressed more as like a SWAT team member. I mean, he is, that's technically the original Shield gear is what he had on. And you know, he wasn't necessarily about Law and Order anymore. He was more about you know, uh, you know, ruining funerals and cooking mutts. That's nuts. I mean, unfortunately, that's what he did. Yeah. Uh, so he was like he was the ultimate heel. Yeah, he turned straight heel when he came back. Yeah. At the end, and they didn't even try to give him a babyface run after. No. Like he stayed heel up until he was done. Which is kind of surprising considering how over he was. Like he was one of those guys that it's like in that golden era when Hogan was killing it. He was the one that was underneath that could easily be a main event guy. You know, so, anywhere else. You and I have talked about this before w- with the guys, I believe, uh, where we talked about, like, in that golden era, who, like, you know, the top baby faces were obviously Hogan. Yeah. Warrior was probably right behind him. For uh, sure. Macho. Macho. When he wasn't Macho King. When Macho was a baby face, you could definitely put Macho there. Uh, and then I've always said that I – Feel like LOD was like right there too. Yeah. Uh, 
Bossman wasn't Bossman and Duggan were not that far behind as like top level baby faces. Yeah, they were right. Because of the pops they got every time they came out. Yeah. I mean everybody got cheered a lot back then, but they did for sure. Yeah, they did for sure. I mean, to be honest with you, sometimes I feel like their uh, boss man's reactions were louder than uh louder than warriors almost from time to time. Yeah. Because uh, Bossman can also captivate you in certain moments. And by the way, Bossman is also one of those guys, too, to where if he's working with an opponent like that's almost the same size as him or like a 300-pound guy, he makes the match look good. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Dude's a beast. Yeah. Uh, we we going on uh, any current stuff? or You want to give it worker of the week real quick? Well, first... What was your uh, kind of beginnings with the boss man, the big boss man, Clinton? Well, I'll say my big Boston moments actually came right in with the accident there when he um, came back to join the um, corporate ministry and you know, with the ministry, with the corporation and shame it, man, and the bodyguard around there. Then he had that big feud with the um, Al Snow, the Hardcore Championship. I think he was like one of the one of the best Hardcore Champions out there. And that, uh, that rivalry he had with Al Snow, I really enjoyed. Yeah, it doesn't and, get talked and, about a lot, unfortunately, because of the the bad payoff <laughs> with the kennel from Hell. Yeah, we we briefly touched well, on that last week. Yeah, but, uh, well, if you t- I'll, I'll tell you one thing. That was a match that was ruined by dogs. I'm sorry. <laughs> don't need dogs. It was a great idea. I love the idea. I'm like, it's nothing like a steel cage and a hell in a cell put together. I cannot wait to put this in a video game to play because I want to play it. <laughs> I just like, yeah, I mean, at least get maybe trained like dogs that maybe will bite, but you don't want them to actually bite them too. So I understand. Oh yeah, because so. they, they were Rottweilers and Dobermans, right? Yeah. And they just like yeah. there was a couple and, pain and, and then you had people, and then you had, and then you had everybody holding the dogs while the while the match was taking place too. It's not like the dogs was running wild, <laughs> right? And like, but yeah, no, like that that was kind of cool. Uh, and I do agree with Clint that he was one of the better hardcore champions, like at the beginning. Yeah. When they first brought in that hardcore division, I know you're gonna give it to Crash Holly at the end of the day. No, that no. was Crash was a joke, a joke. Crash Holly was entertaining a as a hardcore champion. Alright, he was entertaining. As far as like the toughest hardcore champions, it's either Bossman or Steve Blackman. Yeah. Well, I would even throw Al Snow in. Al Snow was good too. Crash Holly was a joke. Okay, he made, he turned he into all, he he Crash Holly was made for the twenty fourth time, seven title. That's what Crash Holly. If I had to put that into a category, you know what? He, he's not wrong. He's like, not wrong. Cr- Crash would have. He fitted. was the comedian. He was like our truth. Him and our truth, and they they both made it work really well. Yeah, and it was entertaining both times. Yeah, and plus also Crash had the the advantage. They always called him Elroy Jetson because he legitimately looks like Elroy Jetson. <laughs> like uh, I don't know if that made hardcore Holly George or not, but. 
Big Georgie. Yeah, but no, I mean, no, Boss Man definitely, like... Yeah, he was badass. Yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah, we can do our Worker of the Week first, if you want to circle back to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, my Worker of the Week, obviously, is going to be the Acclaimed, after winning the AEW Tag Titles. Yeah, Max Caster's the star. He is, and Bowen <laughs> isn't that far behind. And by the way, Max Quacker, yeah, Max, <laughs> Max Caster Max tweaked his knee during the match. Is he going to be all right? I think so. That I mean, he was limping when they won. That, that broke my heart, though. I'm sorry. I knew he wanted to cry watching it. <laughs> yeah, poor Keith Lee, dude. He can't get treated right. He's like a world champion level guy. They shouldn't. Well, they should break them apart. Break him and Swerve apart like Keith Lee go on a single run. He'll win a world title in a single run. Yeah, but they just became tag champs. Yeah, that's the one thing. That's the one thing I don't like. See, here's my problem with AEW. It's too many titles. It's like if you don't have a title, you're nothing. Let's put it that way. It's too many titles in AEW where WWE, you just have like the three on each show. Well, two and a half, I should say, a major title. Two and a half of titles. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, no, and, but I, yet, everybody's story, but the storylines, yeah, yeah, but the storylines don't make it seem like, well, you don't need, this, this person don't need a title. Look at Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins is really good. That You don't need a title. Yeah, it was the last time you see him in a championship. Match besides, if you take away from Monday night, that was his first championship match in a while. Even yeah, by the way, that match with Bobby Lashley was really good. Yeah, I, I, I want that's on my the watch Raws to my do list this weekend. Uh, well, yeah, so my worker of the week is the uh, is the acclaimed Clintus. Who's yours going to be? I'm going to say Mosley and Matt Danielson. I think he put on an excellent match. Oh, uh, world, world title. Oh, yeah, no, 100, 110% right there. Uh, oh, Mox? Yeah. Well, you said Mosley and Danielson because they put on. I was going to do Danielson. Oh. So you're doing Danielson, bud? No, I'm doing Rhea Ripley. Oh. She, she's really embracing this role with Dominic. I'm still saying, you know, she's trying to play like the China, the China of the new millennium, of the Attitude Era. That's what Rhea started reminding me of with this whole thing with Dominic. Yeah. Hey, and if she gets it to work, she gets it to work. Right now, it's probably working. Yeah. I think. Yeah, that's my pick. She's really good. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's hilarious, and uh, I kind of I kind of like Rhea Ripley. She's good in the ring, and she's embracing this weird character. At least she's like into it. Yeah. 
Lord Dominic Mysterio. If he can embrace it and he can make it, because uh, to be honest with you, I think he would make a great heel. Yeah. Oh, you can see how he's trying to embrace it in a, a while. During that promo, he on his so-called first promo, how the crowd is erupted, and you had Finn Balor break character to help in, entice the crowd to boom more to the point that you can hardly understand what the man was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Judgment know? Day, it, it's not really working, but... No, no, no. I mean... Edge was getting it to start the work, but then, you know, Vince McMahon had to fuck it up. But I don't think Rhea Ripley's at fault for that. Oh, no. But to tell you the truth, I think you're, you're, you're trying to make it work again. I mean, as you notice, once Vince was there, how when he kicked Edge out of the group, there was a bunch of nobodies. Now, when Triple H take over, I think they're trying to give them to make them relevant. Yeah, with the whole dominant situation yeah. makes it even better. <laughs> right. I mean, to tell you the truth, I, I'm sorry. Even though I do say Raw, it's a little long, but the storylines on Raw makes it almost worth the three hours we're watching on TV now compared to what it used to be. <laughs> Triple H is the man. Who would have thought we'd be saying that? Yeah, and by the way, Triple H has even gone on record before. I mean, he did it years ago, but he went on record before and said he hates the fact that Raw's three hours. Yeah, I think they kind of have to because advertisers now and stuff. They make a lot of money from that third hour. Exactly. What? Uh, I don't know because right now you're you're stuck with putting the like growl into like the power of the second hour because like the main event is during like the hat the, the main true main event is during like halftime of Monday Night Football for the next for the rest of the year if you think of it like that. No, I agree. All right, let's get enough. All right. Top 10 moments and matches. What's number 10, Doug? You got the list, right? Yeah, and I just glanced over it. So, All right, number 10 is uh, when he made his return on October 12, 1998. So on that episode of Raw, Vince McMahon was coming back. He had spent a couple weeks in the hospital after getting his leg broken by The Undertaker and Kane. Then the week before this, yeah. he was in the hospital and he got a visit from a man by the name of Dr. Austin. <laughs> Gives the best enemas in the in the country, I've heard. Uh, and uh, so he came back and he had this person under a uh, under a mask and a SWAT team vest. He basically it was his head of security, right? And uh, we know what happened. Yeah, during a, a tag team match where it was Rock and Austin versus Undertaker and Kane, uh, uh, the masked man came out, hit, hit Austin with a nightstick, revealed himself to be the boss man. And the rest is history. Yeah. 
Which at that time, like when I first saw that, I didn't even know that Bossman wasn't with WCW anymore. And he, and he was Big Bubba the whole time there, right? Uh, did he go by something else when he was? There? He started when he first got there in '93, which we'll actually get to because that's actually the number nine moment. Ooh. He started as the boss, but then WWF threatened to sue because. Boss, very similar to Big Boss Man. So then he became the Guardian Angel. Then he turned heel and became Big Bubba again. Then... The Guardian Angel. Yeah. Well, because there's actually a, a group out there called the Guardian Angel. Really? Yeah, they're a non-violent... Well, they're a non-weapon group. Like... Weren't they a biker gang or something? They're like a non-violent biker gang. Okay. So what they do is instead of using like weapons like bats and nightsticks and stuff that could kill you. Right. They, they settle fights with their hands. Gotcha. Badasses. Yeah. Uh, so, and then he became Big Bubba, and then he just started wrestling under his real name, Ray Trailer. Oh, Ray. Yeah. And then he came back home. He came back home. Which, by the way, like, when he left in 93, Vince only let him leave so he could go work uh, dates in Japan. He, uh, he Vince told him, he's like, I'm bringing you back at the beginning of 94. So Vince was doing him a favor? Sounds yeah, like he's he he coming back in, in 94, but then, you know, he surprised everybody showed up in WCW at the end of 93, which Vince was not happy about, especially when he showed up wearing his big box and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. Um, yeah, the little thing called uh, gimmick infringement. The copyright or something. Vince owns all that. Yeah. All right. Number nine? Number nine. The Boss versus Ravishing Rick Rude, WCW Saturday Night, December 18th, 1993. His debut. Holy shitsky. Now, the original match for that episode, which, by the way, you can watch that episode on, uh, on Peacock. The original mat, the original main event for that episode was supposed to be a Starcade preview between Rick Rude, who was the international world champion at the time, and the British Bulldog. Well, Davy Boy Smith didn't show up, and what was kind of fucked up about it was Davy Boy, like they had advertised all night that Davy was there. And then his music hit, he didn't show up, and then uh, he, uh, and then, you know, the boss shows up, and he had, like, a 15-minute match with Root, and he got the pin and therefore earned the international world title shot at uh, Starcade. This is nasty. Huh? Rick Rude 
is a legendary performer. Yeah. And, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, and Rick Rude versus the Big Bossman is a program that started in the WWF but never actually got finished because Rude got suspended for making fun of the Bossman's mama. What I'm, a dick. I'm actually serious. Like, that was a storyline. Yeah. Jack, I mean, the Jack. real reason why he got suspended, or he didn't get suspended, but, like, uh, he got taken off the of television because he was injured. Right. But, yeah, so they finally did the, the program here. The match is actually pretty good. Clintus, have you, have, do you watch any of the episodes of Saturday Night on uh, Peacock? Nah. That's so much to do list one one day or another. I'd recommend I, it. I I am <clears throat> like you know you're talking about like Saturday night's main event. No, WCW Saturday night. Yeah, like Saturday night's like man well well yeah, well Saturday night I'll call it main event full train fever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, WCW Saturday Night Show. Yeah. It was right before Nitro and all that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they still had it going on yeah. during Nitro and all that, but for the longest time, it was actually their main yeah, number one Yeah, it became like a sports show after a while. Yes. Because right. I remember WCW Saturday Night was like back when it was just like a third-rated show next to Thunder and Nitro. <laughs> yeah. Well, back in the early 90s, it was, like, the number one show. Right. All right. Number eight. The Dream Team versus the Enforcers at Survivor Series 1989. This was actually a really good Survivor Series match. The whole fucking Survivor Series pay-per-view was actually really good. Yeah. All right, so the dream team consisted of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, of course, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, the Red Rooster, and Tito Santana. The Enforcers consisted of the Big Boss Man, Bad News Brown, who was subbing for Akeem, who actually, uh, who actually injured his elbow in a match with Hercules the week before, uh, the Honky Tonk Man, and Rick the Model Martel. So the big feud was Dusty and the Boss Man, and uh, so Dusty actually, when he first came into the company, actually uh, came in wearing like a a police captain's hat and carrying a nightstick. He actually stole a nightstick from the Boss Man. Really? Yeah. That's nuts. So that was a big feud, and this match, the match went over 20 minutes. And uh it went twenty. Yeah, it went it went about twenty, probably twenty two. Uh and by the way, like the big uh, the Brutus the Barber Beefcake uh, Red Rooster did a lot of selling for the match at first, like the first half of the match, and then they just had Brutus sell for like ten minutes. Yeah. Uh and then, like, make the comment. I mean, Brutus was kind of the... I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but he was kind of the star of the match because he was getting a lot of the falls. I mean, that's some good baby faces. Red Rooster wasn't really 
a big hitter, but the other three were pretty well known. Yeah. They were great baby faces. And then bossing, and then after the match. His feud with Dusty was underrated, by the way. It was underrated, and the fact that, like, there was never really a proper payoff. No. Uh, they did a match on Saturday night's main event, which aired a couple days after the Survivor Series. Uh, and that was actually the debut of Sapphire. Uh so they did a payoff there, and then at the beginning of the year, they were working uh, houses, or end of the year, end of 89, beginning of 1990, they were working houses against each other, doing what they were calling a ball and chain match, uh, which there's one of those matches, or there's a ball and chain match on one of the old Coliseum videos, it's him and Bobby Heenan, and uh but, uh, yeah, he worked a couple of ball and chain matches with Dusty, but then he had to take a couple of weeks off because he broke his ankle. He broke his ankle? Yeah. That's fucked up. And then his first match back from the broken ankle was the Royal Rumble 1990 against Hacksaw. Oh! Yeah. So... But yeah, no, that's number that's number eight. That's actually Clintus, have you watched the nineteen eighty nine Survivor series? No. I think the farthest Survivor series I watched was that ninety three was the first one I watched went back to watch. And that's when the first network first came out. So I was I haven't watched it recently or lately. Okay. Alright. Number seven? I mean, that match was tremendous. It's one of my favorite Survivor Series pay-per-views. 89? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. Like, that whole that whole Survivor Series card with time, I'll try to find a reason why we should cover it coming in November. Uh <laughs> But, all right, number seven, his baby face turn in February of 1990. That's a moment, not a match. Big moment. Big moment. Big moment. Now, it happened during a match, but he wasn't in the match. All right, so let me just try to set it up here. Give me the set. All right. Uh... Take the Snake Roberts stole Ted DiBiase's million dollar belt. Now, Ted DiBiase had said to Jake Roberts, if you want it, come and get it. So he did. So he comes out, or he comes out, uh, DB, or Jake puts the belt in the, uh, in the bag that he has Damien in. Because he knows nobody's going to fucking go in there and grab the bag when you got a fucking python that likes to bite. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they have a match on the February 24th, 1990 edition of Superstars. And uh, Slick came out with DiBiase. Nobody knew why. Well, during the match, the big boss man comes out, hits Jake with the nightstick, hand him, handcuffs him to the ropes, hands DiBiase the bag. And they take off. And they go over to the Brother Love show. 
and uh, they do this interview, and DiBiase says, you know what, Slick, this was money well spent. Boss man looks, goes, what do you mean, what do you mean money well spent? And he's like, don't worry about it. And he looked at Slick and said, look, nobody told me anything about a payoff. You told me I was I was getting a thief, that I was beating up a thief and taking back stolen property. You never said anything about collective money. I don't take payoffs. And uh, which was news to everybody else. So he grabbed the bag. He went back in the ring. He unhandcuffed Jake the Snake and he handed him the bag. And he said, if you, he told DiBiase, if you want this back, the million dollar title, which he, by the way, had created and he paid for. Yeah. That's uh, amazing. That's one of the better baby face turns. Yeah. Because it was, it was so well done. And you had a baby face turn in another storyline. Really? Well, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like this Jake Roberts DiBiase thing. You know, this is where the boss man baby face turn happened. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, it was it was very well done. And then him and DiBiase feuded for a little bit after WrestleMania. He ended up wrestling Akeem, his former partner, at that WrestleMania. But, yeah, no, it was very well done. And then, actually, like, right before... Uh, WrestleMania at the house shows, he started teaming with Hogan against the Powers of Pain. Yeah. And then that's when he was big money. Yeah, you know, you start hanging. It's like it's one thing to draw money with Hogan, and then you're hanging with Hogan, and then you're hanging with Hogan, and he somehow gets you cut into the, and cut into the paydays. Like the 1990 SummerSlam, he pulled double duty. He refereed the match between Jake, uh, Jake the Snake and Bad News Brown, and then he had to work uh, Hogan's corner uh, when Hogan wrestled the uh, Earthquake. Because Tugboat was getting a little too cocky, so Vince says, all right, pal, you're out. And uh, Duggan was already doing something else. Or they felt like, uh, you know, Bossman could pull double duty you know, after refereeing a match, they can bring him back out to work to work in Hogan's corner, but they couldn't have Duggan pulled double duty because he was going to have too much trouble with the Orient Express. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, big boss man. The, the, this was, I think this is like a definitive moment for him. I'm surprised it's only number seven, yeah. Number seven. Uh, but it, damn good moment, and I'm glad it's on the list. Yeah, me too. Number six, when he attacked Hulk Hogan on the Brother Love Show in October of 88. Yeah, that's a big one. This is one of those moments that uh, it really made the guy. Because when he first came in, his original opponent, like when he first came in, they wanted him to start working with Bam Bam Bigelow. Matter of fact, uh, the storyline actually started in an old edition of WWF Magazine. Bigelow called him out in the magazine. Did he? I think I have it upstairs. Go get it. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, Bigelow, no. Uh, so, 
he, but yeah, like because there was there was actually in the old old issues of the WWF magazine up until 1990, I think there was a uh, column in there called Wrestlers Rebuttal, and you had somebody. Uh, write a uh, an article uh, talking about like their issue with somebody and then you have other people rebuttal after so they gave Bam Bam the opportunity he wrote a piece and then I think Slick rebuttaled and I think Bossman actually rebuttaled and they were gonna go with they were gonna go with that, but then Bam Bam had the Bam Bam left the company because he had to have uh, reconstructive knee surgery. Yeah, you uh, you remember this one, Clinton? Not really. No. Some of the older Golden Age stuff. Yeah. I tried to include more of the, more of the Attitude Era stuff, but nobody would go for it. Yeah, that's the only thing about having an old school wrestling group. But uh, Attitude Era, I'm surprised it didn't get enough clicks. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky we got that boss man mo- and his turn. <laughs> what kind of? Oh, oh, well, you figure, like, the Attitude is more, t- it's like, I guess, I will say, teen, like, you had to be, I'll say, not, not nine to ten years to really, like, like start watching wrestling. That's when I knew it was like the the beginning of the attitude era. Right. Uh but all right, so the Hogan moment, uh which by the way, most of the time when Hogan got the shit beat out of him, Brother Love usually had something to do with it. It was always on his fucking show. Fucking fat idiot. Uh and um, he just, like, it, it was one of those, you know, he handcuffed him. He beat him down with the nightstick. And it really set the tone for the business that they were able to do with each other for the next few months. Yeah, no, I can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because I'm pretty sure they did about six months of business with each other. Six months. That's a, that's quite a while. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Well, yeah, because he was the boss man was the one working the house show. All right, here's how much sense this fucking thing made, right? Leading up to WrestleMania when it's going to be Savage versus Hogan. Savage is working house shows and champion versus champion matches with the Warrior. Yeah. And Hogan's working, I think, Hogan's working in a cage every night with the boss man. Yeah, they were always in a cage. Yeah. The blue one. Yeah, the big blue one. And what what was funny about those uh, cage matches is that, like, I think in every one of those cage matches, Boss Man always took the superplex off the top of the cage. That's badass, though. Yeah. Uh, all right, that was, I said that was number six, right? Yeah. Number five is my all-time favorite moment of his. I wish it would have gotten higher, but it didn't. The jailhouse match. Oh, God. Now, 
It was good. And the Mountie finally got his comeuppance, which was yeah. nice. But uh, there was some uncomfortable stuff in the segments. Like, there was some insinuations. It wasn't uncomfortable, but it was like, they can't do that now. No, not not at all. That Mountie was about to get mounted. Yeah. (laughs) And it it, it ain't good. Hi there. Yeah. Don't you just love the way leather just feels against your body? Uh, I don't like the way you said that. That was creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? It's a talent. Uh, and nobody should want it. Um, but no, like, the man, and what's funny, and by the way, that SummerSlam is my all-time favorite SummerSlam. It's the greatest of all. In my opinion. Oh. Uh, so, and we talked about it on this show. Twice. <laughs> we just talked about it now. Yeah. Well, we've recapped the, the summer slam. Yeah. On this show. Uh, but yeah, no, like the match, like it was good to finally see Mountie get his comeuppance. But yeah, like you said, there were some uncomfortable moments. Uh, especially that one at the end. But pretty much Mountie pretty much acted how most prisoners act when they're getting arrested. Yeah, it was funny seeing him cry. And he was all, because he was all high on his horse and yeah. a right prick. You can't do this to me. Yeah. You can't do this to me. And then, like, when he, uh, when they said, give me your finger so they could finger him, we go, there's the finger. <sighs> and he actually flipped off the cop, and the cop just actually almost ripped his fucking finger out of his pocket. Yeah. And he's like, there's yeah, they played it up. It, it was that was like a cinematic match almost. Oh, almost, yeah. Like the fact that they did the follow. Now again, they didn't do like if you watch the live pay per view, I'm pretty sure you didn't get to see all that. Yeah, those were Coliseum video exclusives. Uh, it really made it. Yeah, the Coliseum video was the shit back in the day. <laughs> it was badass. Yeah, I I loved it. Like the exclusives were fucking were fucking awesome. Actually, they might not that might not have actually been a Coliseum video exclusive because when I got the SummerSlam anthology DVD, I'm pretty sure that those segments were included. It's on Peacock too, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, no. Um, one of my all-time favorite matches, and uh, like, because I hated the Mountie. Yeah, but I really like the big boss fan, and you don't know how many times I've react, I, I reenacted that match with my Hasbro figures because I had both of them. <laughs> like when I was a kid, like I had the uh, the boss man figure, and somebody played a mean trick on me and bought me the Mountie one, uh, and I would just you know smack him around a little bit, uh, and you know reenact the match or whatever. Yeah. Oh, what it was like to be six. It could be a little touchy. Yeah. All right, what's number four? Number four is the Twin Towers team. Big Boss Man, Akeem, the Red Rooster, <laughs> King Haku, and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, versus the Mega Powers team, 
Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Hillbilly Jim, Hercules, and Coco Beware. Hercules. At, at the 1988 Survivor Series. So the second Survivor Series elimination match to make the list. Oh, shit. And this was definitely high profile. Well, it was high profile, even though fucking Hillbilly Jim and Coco Beware were in the main event. They were over. Coco was actually very over, and he belonged in the match because he had that SummerSlam match with Bossman. And he was working the houses with Bossman. You might not have won a lot, but Coco was over. And by the way, Coco got him over. Coco made Bossman work. Did he? I think so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I remember this match. And it, it's another way. He was built for a Survivor Series elimination match. Yeah. And he was really good in them. And uh, th- this is the era when they were, like, special and not watered down. Yeah, not watered down like now. I mean, I do like the idea of doing, like, a War Games matches now. No, it's very cool. I think, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. But, like, like you said, you know, back then, this is what was special. <laughs> And you almost had, like, the team names and stuff. Uh, but, yeah. Clintus, did you ever watch this? Uh, or, no, you've never seen this one because you haven't watched the 88 Survivor Series. No. But, yeah, I mean, Hogan and Savage ended up winning. Bossman actually got uh, counted out. Because he was outside beating up Hogan with the nightstick, and he uh, after he handcuffed him to the ropes, but he wasn't paying attention to the count, so the referee just counted him out of the ring. Funny. Yeah. Uh. Well, yeah. No, it was pretty good. It's another match that went almost a half hour. Clinic, do you remember that one? There's the golden no, stuff pretty much. This is like all your guys stuff, I realize. The old 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 school stuff? Wow. Yeah, I had to watch it because of this one. Yeah. Uh all right. Number three. Three. Go ahead. Number three is Big Bubba Rogers versus Dusty Rhodes. The Bunkhouse Stampede Final Steel Cage Match, February 27th, 1987. This match actually sold out the city of Pittsburgh. Holy shit, how how many people? Over 20,000. It's actually, for the longest time, it had the record of the most people that uh, ever went to see a wrestling match in the city of Pittsburgh. And that's crazy. I'm pretty. So what happened was, all right, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, including our uh, other compadre here on the podcast, the bunkhouse stampede was something created by uh, Dusty, and it was like it was a series of battle royals. I come dressed as you are, battle royals. Uh and, like, you could use whatever weapon you want. You could bring out what, 
whatever you want with it. Like, you want to bring out a pair of brass knucks, you want to bring out a bull rope, yeah. uh, you want to bring out a chastity belt to beat people up with, you know, it's fine. Uh, not that I think anybody actually brought out a chastity belt. You but, never know. Uh, God knows back in those days, Missy Hyatt should have been wearing one. Uh, But uh, anyway, uh, so uh, they would always start in like late 80s, uh, late, uh, late one year in the uh, winter and then end like at the beginning of the next year. Well, in February, Dusty and uh, Bubba had won the same amount of bunkhouse matches because they were pretty much winning all of them. So they decided to put, Dusty decided, okay, I can draw money with this big motherfucker. This big motherfucker, baby. Uh, And so they decided to put them in a cage. He decided to put them in a cage. And like I said, over 20,000 people and, you know, got them over. And at one point, like during the feud, he actually he actually smashed like one of those big ass wooden chairs over Bubba's head. Yeah. And Bubba just kind of looked at him like, "So, you really think that hurt, you son of a bitch? You really think that hurt? Uh uh-uh. uh Didn't hurt him. Didn't hurt him. Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of funny how their career kind of meshed. So much, like yeah. the, Dusty really brought him in and made him something. Yeah, it, Dusty was the one that saw something in him and was like, "Okay, I can, we can work with him." Yeah, big boss man. I think he's underrated how good he really was and how yeah. much he did for the business. Yeah, which, by the way, I do have to tell this story, even though it's got nothing to do with the remaining moments of the, on the countdown. Uh, when he first came in, like they came up with the with the name Big Boss Man. Big Boss Man is actually what they called Andre. Really? Like behind the scenes? Yeah. Because Andre was the boss. Yeah. And he was big. And (laughs) also a man. He was a man. So, uh, when they came up with the name for him, uh, Vince had to go to Andre (laughs) and be like, Andre, can we call him this? And, you know, Trailer went up to to Andre, you know, because basically what you were supposed to do back in those days when Andre was there, especially you know when Andre was there for however long he was there, yeah, because it was something that Vince Senior actually like insinuated when he was in charge. It's like if if you want to know you're going to make it here, you have to make you have to you know get along with Andre because if you don't get along with Andre. Like you're you're done. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Rumor has it now. Michael Hayes has actually denied this <laughs> that he didn't like the Freebirds. Yeah, apparently, like rumor has it is that Andre's actually the one that fired the Freebirds. Really? Yeah. That's funny. But then somebody's like, "Oh, he didn't have the power to fire the Freebirds." It's like he was seven foot four and five hundred pounds. He could have as much fucking authority as he wants to. He was special. He could, he could rule he could rule the country of France if he wanted to. Everybody liked him. Everybody liked him 
and he liked the majority of people, but like if you tried to rib him, yeah, like uh, you needed to get the fuck out of town before he could get you back. Uh, there is a uh, story of uh, Buddy Rose, Playboy Buddy Rose, pulling a prank on Andre. I'm not going to say what the prank was. I'll just say it had something to do with fecal matter. Uh. And uh, so anyway, so pulls a prank on Andre. Andre basically looked at him like, oh, I'm going to get you back. Really? Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, in the middle of a battle royal, Andre comes out, tells everybody to get the fuck out of the ring, except for Buddy Rose. Throws Buddy Rose down on the ground where Buddy's laying on his stomach. Andre gets on top of him, pulls down his shorts, sticks his thumb right up his ass. <laughs> and he's like, Andre, Andre, please get off me, get off me. He goes, I just had to see if there was any more poop in there, boss. <laughs> Did he say that? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's not necessarily, well, he checked his oil. He checked his oil, (laughs) checked his oil, checked his prostate, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, Like, that was just like. Clintus, what do you think of that? Sickening. (laughs) Sickening. Yeah, well, it was the early 80s. I guess you could get away with that shit. Uh, Literally. Uh. But, yeah, no, it was actually... Uh, it, it is sexual harassment, technically. Oh, yeah, no. Like, <laughs> it's technically not okay. Oh, God, no. But, uh, which, well, by the way, a lot of this stuff that Brutus Beefcake wrote in his book is not okay. Yeah. Because that's where I actually... Oh, get... you're going up Brutus's word? Sad, isn't it? <laughs> a couple other people have actually told the story, because this was actually in uh, Portland. So I'm pretty sure Piper's told the story. Oh, okay. And I think Rick Martell told it. Oh, he, he's, uh, he's a good source. Yeah. I believe Piper, too. He, too. Uh, but especially Martell. He's a man of class. Yeah. And Buddy Rose... I'm pretty sure Buddy Rose has even told it before, too. Uh, although, to be honest with you, like... Because Buddy actually got hi- re, uh, hired into the WWF, rehired in 1990 as a jobber. Uh, like after Andre had, you know, uh, retired and kind of went away for a while. And I'm pretty sure that that was kind of a selling point for Buddy when he got in there. He's like, Andre's not here, is he? I mean, it's not every day that you need to tape your butt shut when you're around a 500-pound giant. But What number was I just talking Three? Okay. All right, number two. Was it three or four? I think it was three. Okay. Because it was the the cage match, right? Yeah. With Dusty? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, that was three. Number two versus Ron Garvin in a Louisville street fight at the 86 Starcade. Rug and Rod? Yep. I got to go back and watch this match. I believe you should. (laughs) I think I have seen it. I remember being good, but I got to go back. Yeah. All right, so the storyline here is that Garvin had been feuding with the uh, the Midnights and Jim Cornette for a while. Yeah. To the point to where they actually burned him in the face. 
So they decided to have this this Louisville street fight, even though they did it in the Omni, or they it was either in the Omni or in Greensboro. Uh, and they had this street fight, and Bubba won. So Bubba got the win. He got the W. Yeah. Uh, but Ron was at, Ronnie was actually like at that time he was doing a lot of feuding with the Horsemen. Like a lot of people figured that at some point he was going to get the world title from Flair. Yeah. But Ron Garvin is also another guy that you do not want to fuck with because he will knock you the fuck out. Rugged Ronnie. Yeah. He's a little guy, but he'll knock you out. Yeah. And you talk about I talked earlier about guys that Andre should like and that I you like if you were gonna get along in the company like Andre had to like you. Yeah. He loved Ronnie Garvin. Really? Yeah. You you want to know why? Why? Garvin was actually one of the very few people that uh, Andre that French was on. Oh, it's awesome. Because yeah. Ronnie's also a French Canadian. Yeah. So they could talk in French. I mean, Andre didn't like Dino Bravo because he thought Dino was a dick. Did he really? Yeah. No. Uh, but like he liked. I mean, he was he was okay with Dino. Like he never tried to, you know, <laughs> stub up his ass. Yeah. Check his oil. But like, he loved Ronnie Garvin. He loved Rick Martel, but mainly because they could communicate with him in his language. Yeah. So, like, especially, like, if Andre wanted to talk bad about somebody and, like, but really didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, which he really usually didn't give a shit about anyway, uh, or they wanted to talk shit about somebody, but they didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, Andre would be like, let's just talk French, boss. <laughs> so, and that was actually, like, that's actually how Ronnie Garvin had, like, that, what, over, I think it was an over a year run. Yeah. He really wasn't doing much, but it was because he had a friendship with Andre. Yeah, he wasn't a job or anything. Not really. No, he had some big. He had some big wins, but yeah, because he was he was friends with Andre. Like, cause it it paid to be again. It paid to have a friend that's seven foot four and five hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. All right. Number one, I think, right? When he defeated the one-man gang for the UWF world title in April of 87. That was a big one? Yeah. A lot of people say it was like a very underrated, uh, very underrated uh, world title match. I don't think I've actually uh, seen it, but I've heard about it. And what was funny was this was when the UWF was bought by Kraken. So Bubba was sent over because they were going to do like this big talent exchange between the two. Uh, Because Bill Watts had to sell the UWF because of uh, he was losing money due to the oil crisis. Really? Yeah. In uh, in Louisiana in '87, and also he was losing money anyway because he tried to go national and realized that it wasn't working. Yeah. 
which I don't know how the hell he couldn't get it to work because, like, it, that company was so over. Yeah. They were a huge territory. Yeah. Uh, but, no, this match, because they needed Gang to drop the title to somebody because he said, fuck it, and he was going to go up north. So they sent Bubba over, even though Bubba was also a heel at the time, too. But, yeah, I mean, two guys that would end up becoming partners later on in the WWF. Absolutely. So. But, yeah, a lot of people have a lot of fond memories of that match, I believe. Well, because a lot of people have fond memories of the Mid-South UWF. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Mid-South, too. And him and One Man Gang, that's, that's a lot of beef in that ring. I think at the time he was... 375? Because when he got to the WWF as the boss man, he was hitting over 400. And Gang had to be about that, too. Gang was about 455. When they were together as a team, boss man was about uh, 450. Or no, it was about 420. And Gang or Akeem was about 465. Right. And, like, I felt so bad for the Rockers when they had to face them at WrestleMania. Yeah, Imagine being Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, who, when they got to the building that day, they were still hungover because they only got five hours of sleep because they were both having fights with their wives the night before. Right. And fucking, like, Shawn Michaels could barely talk. Jannetty was still seeing double. Uh, and then they had this big spot planned out where they were both going to... One was going to hit a missile drop kick from one side of the ring. The other was going to hit a missile drop kick from the other side. They were both going to hit the same guy. Shawn made it. Marty didn't. Marty missed it. That's that's yeah. how you knew who was going to be the world champion. Yeah. Who was going to be rubbing my back. I was just going to say, yeah. Uh, it's a nice back to rub, though. I appreciate that. No problem. All right, but yeah, no, that that's number one. Uh, Hell of a list. Yeah, it was. it's a fun list. Now, next week, we are going to do uh, top ten moments and matches of Lex Luger. Uh, hopefully we'll get more of like the nitro stuff in there. So Clintus can, <laughs> Clintus can follow along. Yeah. Hopefully. Try to include more of the. Well, well I get WCW. I mean, yeah. NWA stuff. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Well, uh, like the main like NWA stuff is pretty much going to be when he joined the horseman, when he right. turned on the horseman, uh, his early WCW stuff, like his title run. I definitely have to include you know, his WWF stuff, like when he body slammed Yoko on the Intrepid. Yeah. Got to throw that in there. Yeah. So there's going to be like plenty of moments. Uh, uh, All right. So I'll put the I'll try to get that poll up tomorrow. If not tomorrow, then Sunday. Well, that was the boss man epi. Yeah. You want to do the plugs? Yeah, sure. Check out their cheat dudes. Uh, well, the wrestling outlet now. 
Wrestling Outlet, Boxman, and Smirk, Mixer. Or no, actually, they're on YouTube now for the Wrestling Outlet. Uh, 10.15, 10.20 Eastern Time on Wednesday nights. Catch them on uh, YouTube then for uh, the Hollywood Hangout. Sundays at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Catch us seven or 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time every Friday night for Unscripted Wrestling. Uh, we will be back, obviously, next week, like we said, for the Lex Luger Top 10 Moments and Matches, uh, which that should be fun. Um, and, yeah, so and I'll get that poll up either tomorrow or Sunday. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Unscripted Unlimited, here on blogtalkradio.com slash everything unscripted. We're going to be doing a Big Brother season tier list. Is it just you and me? I believe so. Well, Sharon will be here. Cool. Uh, Big Brother 24 is coming to an end on Sunday. I'm sure it's going to be abysmal, especially if the two people who I think are going to make it to the final two make it to the final two. Uh, I might not just give it. I might not give a damn. So you might not even be able to write that tomorrow. Because the season could either turn out awesome or ass. <laughs> There's like no in between. Yeah. But uh. Uh, but yeah. yeah. So that'll be tomorrow, Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time for the Stabcast. Are you guys doing the butterfly effect? We're doing the first butterfly effect. There was more than one. There was the director's cut, Doug. <laughs> Don't say that in front yeah. of Mindy. She'll body slam you. Uh, I'll put it in. But, uh, all right, so you got that. And then Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, for the Web Cave, what do you and Bobo have got going on? Me and the big Bobino are going to be talking about the top ten comic book artists of all time. We did writers last week. We're doing the artistes this week. Cool. All right, and then uh, coming back in a couple weeks when Eric gets back from his cruise, uh, will be NFL Hard Hits with Eric and Clintus. Uh So make sure you uh, watch out for that when it makes, when it makes its return. Uh, are you and Sky going to be doing a Buffalo Bills show at some point? Yeah, we'll see. Okay. All right. Everybody have a great night. You too. All right. Later, Clintus. Later. Later. In the struggle, you know what I'm saying? It's all good, baby, baby. Shake it, shake it. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Malls. I let my tape rock to my tape pop. Smoking with the bamboo, sipping on private socks. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.